Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the Armchair Booking Wrestling Podcast. My name is Steve, and I also have my co-host, Kyle. Say hello, Kyle. Hello. And this week, we are going to be discussing the top ten enhancement talents, and that is according to us. And we are the opinions that matter because nobody else actually gave us any input. So there you go. But before we get started, I want to go ahead and tell you how to reach reach us if you so desire. Our email address is armchairbookingpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash armchairbookingpodcast or on Twitter at bookingarmchair. And, we're, and we just got the notification a couple of days ago that we are officially now on iHeartRadio. And we are on Stitcher, and we are on Apple Podcast. If you go in the description to wherever the platform was that you actually downloaded this particular episode, you can actually find all of that information there as well. You know, so, did I miss anything, Kyle? No, you can't mention our OnlyFans site because we haven't started it yet. No, no fan site yet, but it is in the works. But Block Talk Radio, they have been gracious enough to actually host us and that's actually how we are able to get this on the air, and so I, I do want to give a shout-out to them as well. And, you know, so enhancement talents or jobbers or carpenters, since yesterday was Labor Day, we'll just go ahead and call them the workers. The workers. The workers. Now, to me, Kyle, the enhancement talents, these are the guys that we saw every single week, every Saturday morning, or sometimes Sunday nights, that they never, ever won a match, ever. And I used to see these guys, they wouldn't even get introduced. I mean, that's how you know, kind of low on the food chain they were at times. You knew who the, the top guy was. You had no idea who the scrub was across the ring, unless you were watching for a while. Then after a little bit, you would notice it was, you started to see the same guys. And then you come to, find out later on that these guys had a lot of respect from the guys who were the top draws. These, these were the guys that taught other guys who main evented shows how to wrestle when they first started out, how, were the loser of matches where they got over, and who... You never went to a wrestling event or watched a wrestling show to watch an enhancement talent. Unless you were their mom or their cousin. Nah, and then you wouldn't really admit it in the crowd. (laughs) (laughs) But 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 this this week, this is who we're going to pay homage to this week. It's something you see in AEW on AEW Dark now and occasionally on Dynamite. Something NXT has sort of brought back. But something that's lost on WWE television. Occasionally they'll have them, but you already know what the outcome is going to be. So you know almost every time Natalia wrestles, she's going to lose. No, I can't even say that. But, true, though. But she's held championships. She's part of the Hart family. And 
Same with uh, our good buddy Dolph Ziggler and Kurt Hawkins from days past. Just guys that have ring ring entrances who are there to put someone else over. Yep, and we have done our own point system to where Kyle and I both came up with 20 names apiece, and then we compared the lists, and there's a point system where number one gets 20 points, number two gets 19 points, number three gets 18 points, so on and so forth. And then we add the points together, and whoever has the most points, obviously, that is the number one. Now, now that is how we calculate it. So if anybody else has a better way, well, sorry, this is the way we're doing it. So, Kyle, before we start, though, I will go ahead and we will take our first commercial break. And we are back. So, Kyle, you have the you have the list in front of you, correct? I do. And coming in at number ten, beating our number eleven person by one point is the legendary Johnny Johnny Rods. Hall of Famer Johnny Rods. Uh, Hall of Famer Johnny, Johnny Rods. First enhancement talent Hall of Famer, so that kind of tells you what his peers thought of him. Yep. And, man, he was a legend because he, um, he started wrestling. Well, he was in the WWF in 1965, and he stayed there until 1985. And he wasn't always necessarily the guy who was doing the job. But in later years he was. He was putting guys over, and he was testing them out and seeing what they were worth. And now he's parlayed that into a school. And have you, have you looked at the list of names of people he's trained? He, he's got an impressive list. And at the top, I have the Dudley Boys. Yeah, the Dudley Boys, Taz, uh there was somebody else from the, another ECW person. Um, big cast, even though, well, we know how he's kind of turned out now. But, I mean, the man has talent, and he's seven foot tall, and you can't teach that. But, you know, but he still wouldn't have made it in the business if we hadn't been for somebody like a Johnny Rods to teach him. Teachers, uh, tattoos on both arms, not incredibly jacked, but definitely – had some size for the time. I can't recall a Johnny Rods match that really stands out, but he definitely just got the the talent over. And his last match in the WWF was a loss to Gamma Singh. And that name, the only time I remember ever seeing that name was actually in the magazines. And that was in 1985. And so I was I was watching um, product at the time, but I don't ever remember seeing him. You're right. Um, you know, but obviously, like you said, he has the respect of of his peers. Oh, Tommy Dreamer, Bill DeMott. There are two other names. Um, well, apparently he also trained Vince Russo, but we'll, we, we won't hold that against him. Right. <laughs> but... Oh. But yeah, so definitely legendary. You got number nine? I do have number nine. 
This man actually comes from a very famous wrestling family, second-generation wrestler, Barry O. Orton, if we really want to get down to it. This was actually um, very revealing. At the time, pre-internet, remember our days, we had magazines. Barry O., they did not admit he was the brother of Cowboy Bob Orton. You know, I actually did. I read it in one of the magazines once upon a time, but it was it wasn't one of the after mags. It would have been one of the, you know, I guess the next tier down, maybe even like a third tier down. Um, happened to mention it, and I was like, huh, I wonder why he's not as good as his brother. Not uh, obviously just as talented as the other Ortons, his brother his nephew and his grandfather thing on the charisma side that would say this guy will sell tickets. What's the thing you remember about Barry O? Um, besides he was the first person I ever saw take a, a back suplex off the second rope from the Bulldogs. Um, he was part of a scandal, but the best way I could put it. I see. Yeah, um, I I remember he is the first enhancement talent to have some sort of hand gesture or moniker. He would put his arms up and mock them in the shape of an O. He did do that, didn't he? He did. That made him uh, very signifiable and identifiable when you were watching the television. Hidden fact about Barry O. Did you know he was assassin number three with Jody Hamilton? No. Yes, he was. He, oh, so he was, okay, so it was Jody Hamilton, Hercules Hernandez, and Barry O. Okay. I did not know that. What a uh, unique fact that an enhance it makes you wonder some of the guys that are under these masks. Wow! His fasting gimmick did get over, but his very own just didn't happen for him. I guess it kind of shows that he kind of needed an already pre-made gimmick. You know, to put him there with Jody Hamilton as the assassin, who was one of my, uh, probably one of my most hated uh, villains when I first started watching because my favorite was the Boogie Woogie Man, Jimmy Valiant. You know, so, and of course now I'm a lot older, so I have a lot more respect for him. Yeah, which meant he was doing his job really well. But... Um, and since we mentioned, you know, him having a scandal, why don't you go ahead and tell us about the next one? Ah, oh, that perfect segue into our number eight enhancement talent, and that is Mr. Chin, James Ellsworth, <laughs> or Mr. No Chin. Well, the Chin, Jimmy Dream, local Maryland wrestling star. James Ellsworth. 
and I didn't I didn't actually realize it until I started reading about him doing the research for this. Um, he lives right there, I guess, in kind of the neck of the woods, where close where I used to live. He very close. Uh, he shows up at all the Maryland wrestling events. Uh, he usually has a gimmick table if he's not wrestling, or wrestles and has his gimmick table. Should probably stay away from uh, internet chats, but and sending pictures along with those internet chats. Now that's alleged. Okay, well, let's put that disclaimer out there. It's alleged. We don't know that he did it, but he uh, intergender wrestling champion. <laughs> take the uh, Andy Kaufman gimmick to a new level. Has a uh, very, it's actually really nice, the, his pink intergender championship belt. Have you seen this work of art? Uh, I something tells me I'm going to go Google it right now while you're talking about him. But he, he's, he's claimed to be the intergender wrestling champion. And, you know, for, for an enhancement talent who only did two years in WWE, still gets a reaction. I don't even think it was two years, was it? Two years. I find a picture of it. It's the half pink, half blue. It's actually not a bad-looking belt. You're right. It's better than, well, the 24-7 title. Well, it's better than the cookie-cutter crap that WWE has now where basically every title looks the same. It just has a different color background. But he did two years, 2016, 2017 in WWE. Actually won a couple matches. And had a, a finishing move called No, <laughs> ch- no Chin Music. <laughs> so, not bad. And then he went into... Really, after that brief free victory performance, he got jobbed out to just about everybody. Well, that's how we started anyway, because we brought him in there to be sacrificed to Braun Strowman. But all of a sudden, he was like this underdog that everybody loved for a little bit, and he was involved in some main event uh, angles, and you know, he actually was in the spotlight for a bit, and then, well, he did some stuff. Allegedly. But very, very personable guy. He underdog story. And when your opponent is somewhat credible, has beaten someone before, and you defeat them, you get over. The job of an enhancement talent. And and actually, the the two things I remember most about him, one, him grabbing the women's Money in the Bank briefcase for Carmella, and then two, him costing Dean Ambrose the uh, one of the titles. I don't know if it was the, the WWE Championship or the Universal Championship. 
And so Dean Ambrose walked in there like they were going to have a match. He just he just grabbed and did his um, underhook DDT that he does, his finishing move, and then dropped him and then just walked right out. <laughs> that was it. That was but, it. <laughs> but anyway, speaking of underdogs, and actually kind of a parody if you really want to look at it, Dwayne Gill, also known as Gilbert. Gilbert. Now, I remember watching Dwayne Gill well before the Gilbert thing came out. Yep, so do I, because he was actually partners with someone else that I had, but I had him ranked pretty low. That was actually Barry Hardy. They were a tag team, and it took actually doing the research of this to jar my memory on that one, because as soon as I saw it, I was like, that's where I kept hearing that name. It was Dwayne Gill and Barry Hardy. They were almost like a jobber tag team in the WWF yep. back in the day. So listen to this list for Dwayne Gill. Prior to Gilbert, he was beaten by The Undertaker, Kamala, High Energy, Texas Tornado, Sergeant Slaughter, Jim Duggan, The Bushwhackers, and The Beverly Brothers. He got beat by The Beverly Brothers? Yeah. Mr. Perfect, the one, two, three kid, Razor Ramon, Doink, the British Bulldog, Tatanka, and Adam Bob. He's laid down for a lot of people. And that was over the early 90s. The Gilbert thing and part of the job squad. That, that was a fantastic enhancement group that he was a part of, and when they would come out with sparklers. <laughs> the, fire, the fire extinguishers. It was the greatest. <laughs> I mean, and it wasn't meant to be taken seriously, and I don't know how Bill Goldberg felt about it. Um, Bill Goldberg annihilated him when they met. <laughs> Goldberg, yeah, when they wrestled once, Goldberg obliterated him. But one of the few on this list that actually won the WWF White Heavyweight Championship. Did he? So he is. A, he was a one-time champion as a member of the Job Squad. And he got over as a lovable loser. And I still think one of the funniest moments with Gilbert was in, I don't remember the year, but I think it was 2001, the Royal Rumble. When he came in and Edge just walked up to him and just kind of flipped him over the top rope. You know, it just kind of went... <laughs> it's just so quick. He just broke. Get out of here. <laughs> here. Here's another odd wrestling fact. Gilbert actually runs the wrestling school that I once trained at in Severn, Maryland. Hmm. And operating it for 10 years. You said used to. Do you, I'm, I take it he doesn't run it anymore? Owns it. 
it was under a different name when I I went there, but he now owns the wrestling school in Severn, Maryland, called Gilbert's Pro Wrestling Academy. And Severn's right by Jessup, isn't it? Yes, it is. Okay, trying to trying to remember my geography. It's been a little over two decades since I lived there, but I do remember but, those roads pretty well. For an enhancement talent. He ranked as high as 120 on the PWI 500. Well, that's saying something right there. But, and speaking of people running schools, why don't you tell us some about our next uh, person, number six? That was you. That's not me. That's you. But I'll do it. Um. You're right. I'm wrong. Our next entry, and this is actually your number one pick. It was. George South. Who, interesting fact, he had a birthday yesterday. So happy birthday, George. If anybody, if anybody here that's listening... If you can pass this message along to him, tell him we said happy birthday. So, but big fan of George South, and he was probably our most notable enhancement talent from the NWA, Mid-Atlantic area. And looked like Ric Flair at the time, didn't he? Um. <laughs> He um, he had a match against Ric Flair, which is actually kind of considered to be legendary because, you know, they said Ric Flair could, you know, wrestle a, um, a broomstick and make a, a good match. But George South, I mean, is actually a very, very good wrestler. He's another one that has the utmost respect from his peers. Um, I've even heard in some of the other podcasts where they talk about him, they talk very highly of him. Um, but as far as him looking like Ric Flair, uh, not so sure of that. I remember he had a mullet. And a mustache, so he, he looked, you know, more like somebody who would work at like a county fair. But, um, but he is very good at what he does, and he runs his own company, um, and very devout Christian too. I don't know if you knew that as well. But that was that. Yep. Um, I remember George South the most. Because I used to always watch the Clash of Champions. And George South was one of the opponents of the worst wrestling gimmick ever, and that's the Ding Dongs. Oh. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that one. I don't know. I mean, I do realize that Jim Hurd was the person running everything, and so whatever he said, I guess, went. But I think he was smoking crack when he came up with that one. Anyway. um, (laughs) But, yeah, George South. um, Yeah, that's the reason. I mean, I remember watching him very fine when I was a kid. And because he has – he's actually given a lot – back to the sport and because he he does have so much uh, respect that's actually um why 
I had to weigh a lot of stuff, but that's why I eventually had it at my number one. But don't remember much in WWF. Like if most wrestling I've watched, uh, he did wrestle Buddy Landell, Al Snow, the Future King. Um, so matches are more memorable from smaller territories. Yep. But, and for what I understand, a great, great guy, too. So, and that, well, that was our number six. So, before we move on to our number five, we're, since we're at the halfway point, I'm going to go ahead and we're going to do another commercial break. And we're back. So, since I got the number five, now this guy, even though he was always known as enhancement talent, he actually participated in the very first WrestleMania. Yes, and he did. In a very memorable match. And this is SD, Special Delivery Jones. And he's another guy that every, you hear the other wrestlers talk very highly of it. Um, but his match in WrestleMania 1 was against King Kong Bundy. Officially, on the record... King Kong Bundy beat him in nine seconds. If you time it with an actual clock, it was closer to 22 seconds. And Bundy, before he uh, passed away, he actually said that SD did that on purpose where he, when he took the avalanche in the corner, he took too long falling to the mat. And he said he thinks he did it on purpose, but whatever. He still beat him in that short amount of time. SD did the job for him which was what he was there to do. He was there to get somebody over. That's why he's on this list now. Right. What I remember of S.T. Jones, besides the WrestleMania matches, he teamed with Tony Atlas after the team with Rocky Johnson fell Do you remember getting wrestling tapes from Blockbuster back when that shop existed? I don't remember ever seeing him, um, you know, on those tapes, except for WrestleMania. He, he was on a couple Battle Royals, and they would flip a coin to determine who the winner was. And he was also a frequent tag team partner of Andre the Giant. Yes, because he was the tag team partner of Andre when Bundy and Big John Studd actually um, cut Andre's hair. Because I remember reading in one of the aftermags of why did they have him teaming with S.D. Jones, of all people? Because Bundy and Big John Studd, of course, you know, were, well, big guys. Because anytime you have the nickname Big and then King right. Kong, they're usually not small guys. So two things about S.D. Jones. Did you know he was one of the first wrestling action figures that 
WWF came out with when it was LJN? I did not know that. He, he was he was in in the pack sold, and he and was the inductee of Tony Atlas into the Hall of Fame, and is now a legacy member of the WWE Hall of Fame, and got added last year. Yep, that's two. That's the second one on the list that's actually in the Hall of Fame and very well deserved. And unfortunately, he left us uh, in 2008 following a stroke. And that is a shame. And he had lost a a lot of weight, apparently, after his wrestling days. But it's amazing that they run into so many issues. You have to wonder why. After wrestling or just after wrestling, during wrestling, it's the grind. That's been my guess. I imagine that you have to take a lot of stuff to get up, get down, recover, look good for television. Even as an enhancement worker. And it turns but into a cycle. Our number four edition actually got over by losing. And this is our only team in the top ten. But there's no reason to split these guys up. So speaking of your number one competitor, George South, he is actually the loser of the match, which our number four competitors, the Mulkey Brothers, Randy and Bill. <laughs> Mulkey Mania. Who, and George South was on the losing end of that, that one, one defeat that the Mulkeys managed to give somebody. And probably one of the most memorable enhancement talents of the 80s. And it all started... They got over because of just an offhand remark made by Jim Cornette. He said, oh, look, it's Mulkey Mania running wild. And then next thing you know, people just latched onto it. And I remember when all that was going on, because, I mean, of course, they were down in the Mid-Atlantic area. And when they were in the Jim Crockett Memorial Tag Team Tournament, whatever year that was, it was either 85 or 86, because they won that one match. And I don't remember which one was which. I mean, they weren't twins. You know, there were a few years between them. But one of them went against Hands of Stone, Ronnie Garvin. And it was very early in the match, Ronnie Garvin threw him, you know, over the um, into the ropes, and he came off. And Garvin was going to do a backdrop where he did a leapfrog over him, and stopped. And this was right right where one of the cameras were. And he stopped to point his head like, "Yeah, look how smart I am." And Garvin punched him in the back of the head and pinned him. <laughs> it was it was like boom when you just saw when you just fell. <laughs> that was one of the things you know if I. 
if I had a VCR at the time, of course I was, you know, like 12, you know, I would have, I would have hopefully been recording that and I would have just rewound it because I remember my sister and I both were watching it and she, even she was laughing because he just clocked him in the back of the head. Um, and some of the other uh, things that I've actually read about the monkeys were apparently they were both smokers. And you, know, you don't Ed, think about you don't think about wrestlers being smokers. No, but Bleach Block, both of them, he- heavy smokers, always got beat up. <laughs> and if they wrestled individually, they got clobbered. If they wrestled as a tag team, they got clobbered. <laughs> and, and imagine hyping a team up, which they did, called the Gladiators, only for the mul- the Mulkies to beat them. Oh, was George South one of the Gladiators? Yes, he was. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, another fact, the Mulkey brothers' last match was also against George South, teaming with his son, George South Jr. And they have not been seen or heard from since. Wow. Um, sorry, just dropped my phone, Kyle. Hold on, let me get, let me get myself resituated real quick. All right, can you hear me? Yes. All right, now, cool. For the Mulkey Mania t-shirt, purple and yellow. <laughs> I forgot about the t-shirts. Oh, um, and Jim Cornette, I've heard him tell a, a story about when they they set up a match between the Mulkies and the Midnight Express in the Mulkies' hometown. And... Dusty Rhodes said, okay, we'll do this here. All right, then, you know, screw them. Basically, you know, screw the monkeys over. And Cornette was like, do what? Because they're in their hometown. And so they ended up doing something kind of shady to get the pin, but they already had a car waiting outside the arena. And so they could just, they took off. I mean, they didn't even bother changing clothes. They just jumped in the car and, and boom, gone, because there was basically people coming after them with pitchforks. Because you know what? It was real. That's the way it was back then. Back then. It was real. It was real to them, damn it. Yep. So, and I'm going to go ahead and move on to our number three because, um, and I, I will go back to S.D. Jones just for a second. The last match S.D. Jones had was against our number three, and he actually lost our number three. And this would be Iron Mike Sharp. And, you know, he actually left us a couple years ago, but he was another one, and like all of them, they all had the respect of their uh, their peers. But I remember watching him because it seemed like during, like every match he had, he was growling, like, right. and, he, and he also had the brace on his arm. I never understood why. They never really ad- addressed it. Not during our lifetime. No. 
and this was a a thing twenty four years career, mostly as an enhancement talent. Canadian born, called himself Canada's greatest athlete. <laughs> yes. So, when he was a heel. He would put a foreign object in his elbow pad. Which would make sense. I mean that'd be a, a reason for um for the 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 brace. And he, he got a brief push managed by Captain Lou. Ashley wrestled Bob Backlund for the WWF championship. Obviously got beaten there. And from that point on, he was legitimized as a credible opponent and did nothing but job out to new wrestlers after that. And see, this, if this says anything about the grind that we're just talking about and not healing, man, that arm, that, that, that his arm was broken for like six, seven years. That's all I'm saying. Well, it, at least. <laughs> Him and him and Bob Orton both. I mean, his arm, in fact, was even broken before Bob Orton's. So a sad note to Mike Sharp's career, one of the few wrestlers to ever be defeated by Virgil. Oh, wow. Yeah. That That is, um, well, I mean, you know what? He did the job. He put Virgil over because... Well, you know what, actually, I'm sitting there reading about that, and it wasn't even in the WWF. But so, he, uh, hmm. he, he was famous not only for being a credible enhancement talent, but for having the need to shower three times a day. At least three times. So he would shower before his match, after his match, and throughout the day. And he would work out a lot. You think you work out a lot? And I know you work out a lot. Iron Mike Sharp may have actually had you beat. I think he did. But, and and I heard, um, I think it was Bruce Pritchard that actually talked about how there was times he actually got locked inside arenas because he would be in the shower. And he had been in the shower for a while. It, it's fascinating concept to be a wrestler, put baby oil all over yourself, which, yeah. Um, <laughs> all I can think of with baby oil is Bruce, Ren- Bruce Re- Reynolds, and Burt Reynolds in uh, Strip Tease with Demi Moore. Oh, oh it feels squishy. <laughs> but it was squishy between my toes. But they needed to wash that off. And like you see what some of the other wrestlers were probably hanging out with before and after the shows. I'd probably want to wash that off, too. <laughs> That's very true. But, and he's another one, actually. If he's not in the Hall of Fame, which he is not, he needs to be. 
but, but it's notable for his grunting. Uh, yes, I do remember that. And that takes us to our number two. <laughs> I'll give his name first, and we're, we went with Barry Horowitz here as number two. I loved his jacket with the handprint on his. <laughs> so he could all start his matches by patting himself on the back. I yes. wish I could at work. Um, well, Barry Horowitz, um, uh, Jewish, very, very proud of his Jewish heritage. And I remember when he, his entrance music was I I don't know the name of the song and I'd, I'd rather not try to butcher it, but it was a song you always, if you were to say, okay, name me a song that's associated with Judaism, that'd be it. Um, but yeah, I know the exact song you're thinking of. Yeah. Yeah, that one. And I'll stop before, you know, we, we have people uh, sending us hate emails. Um, but Send us emails at armchairbooking at gmail.com. Armchairbookingpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, I tried armchair booking, and yet it was already taken. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, he um, he was another kind of a lovable loser, and fans just kind of latched onto him. Uh, and they ran a gimmick, correct me if I'm wrong, where he had so many losses in a row before he finally won a match. Now, if my memory serves me correctly, he had the exact same gimmick in Florida before he went to the WWF. And this is when he was wrestling under the name Jack Hart. So I don't know how much of a loser gimmick he had, but he definitely was known for losing. I was going to bring up that he, he actually did three years in WWF, I used to watch him on Global on ESPN. And he had matches with Gary Lynn on ESPN that would hold up today. Really? Are they on the network? Yeah, Global, I believe they're on the network, aren't they? I don't know because I got rid of my network. But I'll have to I'll have to check it out and I'll have to see if I can find those matches. But another match, because he was WCW before that, is with Flying Brian Pillman when Pillman before Pillman got hurt. And this is before the accident when he was wearing the Cincinnati Bengal tights. And really good. Uh, let's see. Well, it was a TV tape, and I was hoping it would. Would have been on a pay-per-view. Uh, they may still have it. I'll have to, I'll have to hear that. I'll, I'll see if I can find it on YouTube or some other some other video uh, site. Because I imagine those two probably would put on a good match. So uh, you, you remember his gimmick with the body Donna 
where he ended up defeating Skip, who was Chris Candido. And you remember Sonny throwing a big fit in the corner of the ring. Yes. But that that actually parlayed him into the Survivor Series and Royal Rumble before he kind of became irrelevant again. And, I mean, well, Hava Nagila, that's the name of the song, by the way. I just saw it, just found it. Um, Could you really see him moving beyond middle of the mid-card? Oh, no, he was in enhancement all the way. Yeah. You know, and he was very good at it, and he put a lot of guys over. You know, in other words, he did his job very well. And that's why he's number two. Now, um, in a smaller federation, he, he's quite accomplished in on the indie scene. Yes. And here's something that might interest you. He is now working, well, in, as of June 2005, he was working as a nutritionist down in Florida. Definitely took care of himself. Yep. Which is something maybe I, I need to actually get hold of a nutritionist myself, but I'll tell you about that later. Uh, doctor called me today. Anyway. But with that, he was recently on the Keeping It 100 with Conan podcast, as a mention, from their mailbag. He does not talk to his family. Really? Since he's retired and went to Florida, he is no longer on speaking terms with his brothers and his nieces and nephews. That's a shame. Another guy from that era, like, obviously took care of himself and is still around to hit the convention circuit whenever COVID allows that to restart again. So how about our honorable mentions before you get into number one? Well, and for those of you who are new to our podcast, or those of you who may have forgotten how we do our honorable mentions, our honorable mentions are are anybody that did not make the top ten, but were both on mine and Kyle's lists. And they just did not happen to get enough points to make the top ten. Our first one, and this is a name that not a lot of people would have heard of, Frankie Williams. Loved Frankie Williams, but loved him for his segment on Piper's Pit. That man ate a coconut. (laughs) (laughs) Good for him. That's all I can remember about Frankie Williams. Yeah, that's, I mean, even when I was looking some stuff up about him, like, I don't remember this guy at all, hardly. But I remember seeing the story and remember, you know, just I remembered him, but I didn't, if that makes any sense. I remembered him for a memorable thing he was a part of. And then, like, and that's actually why why I ended up putting him on the list was because it was something he put over 
and he was known for, um, but not it was just wasn't in the ring, right? But our number, our next honorable mention, um, that this one I remember seeing him. He always lost in well, he usually lost in. Atlantic, NWA, later on WCW, and I did see him a couple times in WWF, but it wasn't many. This is the Italian Stallion. And yes, that was his wrestling name. That, that, that was one. just the, the Italian Stallion. It came out with uh, green Italian flag tights. Yes. Relatively uh, bulky dude in, in the buff sense. Yes. But Almost a mullet haircut, just not not very tall. Definitely, like, for the 80s, would not have gotten higher than he did. And he was known later on for helping train guys. Um, two notable ones, he helped train, even though they were already training themselves, sort of, but he kind of helped, and I believe he may have had a fallen out with them, was the, the Hardy Boys. Yes. And but I, I believe he was helping at least them get their bookings. But yeah, but they then you, go ahead. You have um, there. There's two that we both rank high that didn't make the others list. And, and your number five is Sam Houston. Yes, and I did not list him because I saw him as more than enhancement talent. I thought they would have they were trying to push him up the card. That, that was in the WWF. He was nothing but enhancement when he was in Mid Atlantic. Now he was he was a good enhancement talent, but he was enhancement talent. They started trying to give him a push later on, but it was not as believable. And then he and um and his now ex wife, Nicola Roberts, they both left the company but when it was found out that they were in a relationship because she was a heel, he was a face, and they were dating. And so they ended up right. leaving. In fact that's when she actually left the business um altogether. And yeah, and not not a lot of people know. I mean, his brother is Jake the Snake Roberts. So Sam Houston is not his real name. His real name is Mike Smith. So when when I watched him wrestle, it was they were trying to push him in WWF. Trying, and he was so scrawny in his, you know, the finisher move being, you know, the bulldog, and which used to be a pretty over move, but used to could. Um, and your the one you chose that I didn't was actually the same reason. Um, the, the reasons why you didn't choose Sam Houston were the reasons I didn't choose Manny Poffo. That makes sense. It, it does. The genius as Lanny Poffo, that man couldn't win a match to save his life. He that was the thing though. I do remember watching him win matches. Uh, um, he was winning matches against other enhancement talent, 
but he was winning matches and he was winning them on TV. Um, and later on, it did seem like he was losing, but he was always he was throwing frisbees at the crowd. He had his poems, you know, that he would actually write himself. Uh, because when they start coming to genius, I mean, the man actually is extremely intelligent. Um, I actually bought a book of his poetry. And really? I read it. I did. It's not bad. Um, and he, once again, he's also another one that has a, a more famous older brother. And that'd be? Macho Man. Yep. Randy yeah. Savage. So, number one. Uh, yeah, we will take a quick commercial break. Before then, we re- reveal our number one. And we are back. And our number one top ten enhancement talent is – give me a drum roll, Kyle. Steve Lombardi, a.k.a. Brooklyn Brawler, a.k.a. MVP, a.k.a. Knuckleball Schwartz, not MVP, Knuckleball Schwartz. Um, a.k.a. Uh, what, Brown, number three. Yes. Um, the Broad Street Brawler. He was, Oh, he was Ken. Oh, he was named MVP at one point. I thought so. Before the MVP we know now. Um, but he was Kim Chi. He was one of the, the nights when – you had Shawn Michaels and the Knights, which was supposed to be Jerry Lawler, but that's another story. Um, but Shawn Michaels and these guys, the Knights that were in masks, he was one of them as well. But leg- legendary career. Yes. WWE from 1983 to 2019-2020. Yes, because he was very involved behind the scenes. Taught, well, really, wrestled The Rock in their studio ring. Well respected by all his peers. And for 59, I, have you seen recent photos of him? I haven't. Is he still pretty jacked? The man is in the best shape of his life. So, has wrestled everyone who's a who's a who in the WWF, and he's probably lost to all of them, right? So, no way that he could not be our number one choice for enhancement talent. He's responsible for putting more people over than Sonny. <laughs> so you had him as your number one. I had him as my number two. So, I mean, yeah, he, um, it was no question. But g- good wrestler. I like the Brooklyn, Brooklyn brawler gimmick. What a way to stick it to Terry Taylor, too, when he was the Red Rooster. <laughs> so uh, we, we had a big debate over whether or not Terry Taylor should have been on my list. 
I can't call Terry Taylor enhancement talent just because he, um, outside of the WWFE, whatever, um, he actually was pretty successful. I mean, he was holding um, like the North America title in Mid-South, later on UWF. Uh, he held some other regional titles, um, and they weren't just like the junior heavyweight titles either. It's, uh, so for me, it would be kind of hard to put Terry Taylor as enhancement talent. But I will, um, I, I will have to do one more kind of a trivia <laughs> thing. Did you happen to notice who my number twenty uh, person was? Your number twenty was Jack Foley, who was turned out to be Mick Foley. <laughs> I was hoping you'd notice that because did you ever see the match? Uh, he's actually spoke of it in his book. It was him and Les Thornton against the British Bulldogs. Oh, where he got beaten? Yeah. See, I was disappointed that you didn't use more current names. And you what? missed my friend Adam, who I watched at the AEW pay-per-view with over the weekend. Pineapple Pete and Kurt Hawkins were his suggestions. And Pineapple Pete was a good jobber. I'll have to. I'll actually have to uh, check that one out. Um, but well, overall, the, what do we? Next week, WrestleMania 31, the one out of Santa Clara, California, and probably one of the last really, really good overall cards. I mean, it had its hiccups, but overall, I mean, it was actually net positive. I would say. Plus our WrestleMania, though. Yep, but I actually watched all of it. And I want to say when um, Rollins came out, the only time the Money in the Bank's actually been used in the middle of a match. And I actually called that. Well, actually, I knew he would cash in. I didn't think it'd be in the middle of the match. But anyway, we'll discuss that next week as well. So a couple big moments during that pay-per-view. And we're going to talk about that next week. Yes, we will. So we hope that everybody who's listening now can join us. Um, Please send us your suggestions and give us your feedback. It's always helpful for us, and we do appreciate it. Till next week, buddy. All right there, brother. And I will talk to you throughout the week. We'll see you.